Welcome to the Deep Waters Podcast. We pray that Christ is at the beginning and end of all we do. May openness and peace mark our discussions. As we engage in conversations about the fresh move of God, may our hearts be drawn to unity. And in all things, may this shape us to look more like you, Jesus. Amen. Now grab a cup of tea or a nice glass of ice water, hydrate or dehydrate, and enjoy the Deep Waters Podcast. Hi, Benjamin. Hi, Jace. And hi, Jordan. Hey, guys. We've got the one, the only Jordan Werner, Pastor Jordan, Pastor Reverend Dr. Jordan Werner on the podcast. <laughs> and he's rounding out this conversation on the fivefold with us, which we're just really grateful that you'd give us some of your time to get an aspect on the fivefold and specifically the apostolic grace, um, what it is, what it means for us as a church. Um, yeah, we're going to go into those waters, yeah. but before we do, I uh, think it would be helpful if we just recap a little bit the things mm-hmm. we've discussed up to now in the fivefold conversation. If you haven't listened to those previous conversations, you can go back and do so. We interviewed one person from our church staff um, correlating with each of the fivefold mm-hmm. ministries, and this is the one correlating to the apostolic grace. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say maybe just some general notes on the fivefold, Jace. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts or gleanings that you've picked up? Uh, yeah, I think for at the beginning of this conversation, I wouldn't have thought of it as like a form of church governance. And now I feel like I've gained a little bit more understanding of how this is not necessarily like, you know, we all have the fivefold within us and we have to like somehow sort of like write all the different the fifths of myself, you know, like, I don't know, like I just, I really had not a lot of concept of what it was. And so now thinking of it as like, oh, this is actually a really powerful way to lead a church. Um, that's been really good. So yeah, we had, we had Kenny, we talked about, um, he taught cause he's a teacher (laughs) on why the fivefold doesn't exist. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but just, just his idea of like, you know, and even we've touched on, like, it's more than just, there's more than just five gifts of the Holy spirit mm-hmm. or like five. Um, there's more than, um, there's a million like gifts and talents that we all have, you yeah. know, and that's not what this is necessarily describing. And so that kind of differentiator like helped a lot. Um, what about you, Benjamin? Yeah. Is there anything um, you've learned um, over this time? I echo what you said about church governance. I think one point that Kenny brought is wanting to recognize that we don't over leverage this language to the point where we're now siloing ourselves in these lanes. And if I view myself as an evangelist, for example, now I don't have permission to be pastoral mm-hmm. or, or the responsibility prophetic. or yeah, yeah, don't even have that responsibility. So, um, I appreciate the call to like embody the fullness of Christ by the grace of the Holy spirit and yet also recognize the graces. Um, but also the the unity, the centrality of unity in this conversation, I think, when we looked at the context in Ephesians four, mm-hmm. I thought that was helpful. Um but I I think this will really help fill in some gaps for people. For whatever reason, I think the the apostle grace is the one that seems to be least understood in the church. Would you say that, Jordan? What has your relationship been 
with understanding what the grace of the apostle even means in the church. Yeah, I would agree that it seems to be the probably the most elusive uh, in grasping the understanding of, of that gift. And I think there, there's a lot of reasons for that. And I, I think a big portion of it is just the context of uh, the kind of church history moment that we're in with the Reformation essentially kind of said that we kind of renamed the apostolic grace to missionaries. So I think that's kind of what for like hundreds of years kind of replaced. So Mm. it really like the vernacular of apostle kind of went away and it was associated either loosely, directly, sometimes indirectly uh, with a missionary grace, which I think some missionaries definitely have like an apostolic calling. But I don't think that just because you're a missionary means like you could very much have an, be an evangelist sent as a missionary just, sure. or a pastor just as much as you could be an apostle. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot of, um, there's some of that practical reasons. And then there's also just the language. It's an old term that we don't use today in secular culture. Like we, we think of the word apostle as a spiritual term, but really Jesus was taking a secular term huh. and first making it spiritual. We've lost the original context of why Jesus chose the word. And so now it's kind of been, you know, and then all these misnomers of there was only 12 apostles, which the Bible itself tells us that there's at least, I think there's at least 19 apostles in the scriptures, um, mm-hmm. just through looking at the letters and who Paul refers to as apostles. So yeah, there's a bunch, all this to say, there's a, there's a huge topic on apostles and, uh, on the fivefold in general. And it sounds like, um, there's been some of that to talked about and clarified and it's good. So I'm excited for this conversation today. Good. Yeah, me too. I would like to just kick it off if I can by asking you, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Do you identify as having the apostolic grace or would you use the word office? Um, and if you identify with one of those, um, could you explain your journey of coming to the recognition of that? Yeah, that's a great question. So first I would say, um, just, just so that we're all on the same page, everyone listening, I think there's kind of like, there's, there's gifts, there's offices, which would be like what we're talking about. These, these fivefold offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, which I would say someone operating in the office of a fivefold minister would be someone who is bearing the fruit of this gift in multiple church context and is in a functional position within a church body. So, um, the independent, you know, self-proclaiming prophet or whoever, uh, if you're not bearing fruit within localities of, of churches, uh, then scripturally speaking, you're not really, uh, operating in the Mm. office. Um, so you can be called, you can have the call, um, but you're not really in the office till you're in office. You know, it'd be like, you could be called to be president, but if you're not in office as president, like mm. operating in the government structure, you're not in office. So that's just something to say. So there's offices, then there are gifts. So there are some people with gifts of prophecy, which would be a gift of the Holy Spirit. And there are way more than five gifts of the Holy Spirit, like Jace was saying. Um, but someone can have a gift of prophecy and not be the office of a prophet because the office also is a multiplier. So you have a grace to actually 
um, multiply and disciple. So the gift of prophecy will give prophetic words, but the office of a prophet will actually equip people to be prophetic themselves, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So there's offices, there's gifts, and then there's roles. So every believer has a role to be prophetic in the sense of my sheep follow me because they hear my voice. So same with evangelists. There are people with gifts of evangelism that are not called to disciple people into becoming evangelistic. Um, but then everyone has a role to be evangelistic and to share their faith. So that's just helped me over the years in this of understanding mm -hmm. that everyone has a fivefold roles in the sense of we're all called to be prophetic and hear his voice. We're all called to be Bereans who know the word of God and study the word of God. We're all called um, to be good shepherds who love people, who care for people. Um, and then above the role, some people have specific dispensations of grace gifts, Holy Spirit grace gifts, where they just happen more frequently, gifts of healing, gifts of prophecy. Um, but then I would say a more select group of people have what we're talking about here, governmental grace to actually function in office within the local church and multiply that grace and actually disciple people into their their expression of, of the fivefold. So does that make sense or that was, was that too really much of a helpful. mouthful? Yeah, that was, that really was great. You clarified a lot of things that I think we've kind of even been stumbling on in the last mm -hmm. few podcasts and you did it really succinctly. So, so maybe we can up this, upload this podcast a month and a half ago. That would, can we can do that? <laughs> that would set the stage. Yeah, the that'd be yeah. so good. Good idea. <laughs> yeah, so I stole all that language that I think that was actually, yeah. a, I read, it was a teacher who wrote a book on the fivefold. So teacher, thank God for <laughs> teaching grace, like totally. that language, role, you know, office, gifts, roles. So that's helped me. I hope it helps you. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, as far as the second part of your question, um, so yes, I definitely identify with an apostolic grace on my life. Um, just to be honest with you two and anybody listening, I probably am still working out what I think of the whole title thing. Um, I have never really been um, comfortable calling myself or having anybody else call me for that matter, an apostle. Um, not that I think that's wrong. Paul referred himself to it as an apostle. I know some people do it. I think I probably tend to see the the offices as more of job descriptions. So apostle would be a job description, less of a title. But I do think titles serve a functional role and they help us identify things. So in that sense, you know, I guess I've just, it's been an awkward journey for me of understanding. So, um, no, my business card does not say apostle. <laughs> my email does not say apostle. Um, his license if, plate does though. I, I, I think that, there, yeah, you know, <laughs> I may or may not have a bumper sticker that says apostle, <laughs> um, but I, I I absolutely believe that I have apostolic grace and that I've been given an apostolic assignment um, in ministry. And I think that I've been growing into this over years. Um, I guess my journey, I where it, it first started, it's been a, the whole journey has been awkward for me. I, it started with a, I had a, uh, a dream. It was my dream when I was called to ministry. And in the dream, uh, I was told that I was, uh, I had an apostolic assignment. And at, I didn't come from an apostolic, I, I didn't even know that there were such things as apostles and prophets until I was like 19 or 20 years old. Huh. And the first time I heard that, I scoffed and like, 
oh, he's a prophet. Like Jeremiah is a prophet. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know why that was so like offensive to me. I mean, if I had read the Bible, it's clear in the Bible, there were new Testament prophets, like a lot of them. Um, Philip had five daughters that were prophetesses. So why I thought that they were, I don't know, but that, that it just shows, I think how much our church tradition really does disciple our worldview because we've all read the same scriptures, but I just had never seen it before. So I came from more of a skeptical background and then worked my way into accepting them. But then when I had this dream, it was kind of like, ah, I don't know what that means. And I don't, I, it just, I, it just felt like overwhelming. And I, after this dream was telling the Lord, like, okay, well, I probably need like some like legit people to like maybe give me a word or call me out or recognize it or something, you know? And for about a year and a half, the Lord said, nobody's going to confirm it until you believe it and confess it yourself. And so he would tell me often, I want you to confess to me, like I've been called to apostolic ministry and I would do it. And I would almost like want to cry because I'd be like, Lord, I feel like I'm a little boy putting on his dad's fireman suit. You know, if his dad was a firefighter and putting on the suit saying, I'm a firefighter. And it was like, that's how I feel right now. Like, I feel like, exactly. I feel like I'm pretending and saying something that feels way too big for me and like just hard to wrap my head around. But uh, I did it. There's something about confession that just, I was... It's like something deep in me obviously agrees with the word of God, but like there was a lot in me that just didn't. And, you know, that's that's probably another conversation for another day. But I did that for uh, a year and a half. And then it was actually when I was in Africa, I there was a man who I would say has is a authentic apostolic minister and has ministered around the world to a lot of churches in different contexts. And he actually called me out at the end of a, a, a time of ministry and began prophesying over me. And he said, there's an apostolic calling on your life. He said, I see you leading a sizable congregation. And I was at a missionary school in Africa. So there weren't a lot of people that were like going to be in church world or whatever. And so a lot of my life that I'm living now, he had called out. And I would say that was, that was a really significant moment of like something deeper in me believed God, like, oh my gosh, this is real. I I don't know how to describe it. So that was the power of that prophetic word for me. And then uh, honestly, it's been a lot. And and so no, I guess one more thing is I then had a, I had a dream uh, very shortly after that time where the Lord said, you're going to be walking this out for the next seven years. You're, you're kind of going to be living into it. And, you know, and I've heard Graham Cook say before that the time between when you're called to be a prophet, because he's a prophet, so he's speaking more into that. He's like, uh, between calling and actually becoming into the office of a prophet, he said is a minimum of 14 years. So that's Graham Cook. Um, minimum of 14 years between calling and then actually stepping into the office. So if I'm being honest with both of you, I don't know that I fully embody the office mm-hmm. of like an authentic apostolic expression at this point. And I think that's a lot of what we're experiencing even as a church is we're maturing as a church, but I'm also maturing as an individual into an apostolic mm-hmm. office. And so I think that I'm in crossing some of my own threshold seasons. But anyways, that's that's been the last, you know, that was that was probably 10 years ago now that all that happened. And I think beginning in ministry, I would say more and more the signs and some of the life and expression and characteristics of apostolic ministry have been expressed um, through, through, you know, Christ in me. 
Um, but I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm at a point where I can say like I'm a, there's a mature, authentic, grounded expression of that coming out of me. Uh, and, 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 you know, and I think Riverhouse in some ways is a, mm-hmm. it's an embodied, it's the most potent expression of where I'm spending most of, yeah. most of my time. So I think Riverhouse and myself were kind of on a similar growth track and I'm comfortable being, um, beautifully immature is what I would call it in the sense of you don't expect, uh, 12 year olds to think and talk like 18 year olds. And so I don't know how I old I am in the spirit, but I'm maturing and yeah, mm. it's a long winded answer. Oh, it was yeah. a beautiful answer. I appreciate your humility and transparency in that. It's like, I, I would be quicker to trust someone who has that kind of humility. I think just frankly can say, Hey, this is where I'm at. This has been a journey with me, even trying to figure out what the Lord has mm-hmm. spoken over my life. It's demonstrating. You're not like choosing something. I think sometimes when people identify with prophet or apostle, when I first heard those terms, I was maybe a little bit offended. I don't know if this is true, but maybe I was offended because it feels like a power grab. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, if I'm going to call myself prophet Frank, then I'm, I'm saying that when I speak, it's the Lord and therefore I have authority mm-hmm. inherent. You should listen to my that voice. Certainty scares me, you know? Yeah. yeah. But I don't hear that, that power grab in anything that you're saying. It's like the Lord is handing you something and you're trying to figure out how do I steward this? What does this mean for me? Um, how do I mature well into this? If it is that adult fire suit, like you're going to have to grow up until the pants fit and that's a process and you trust the Lord and the mess. So anyway, I, I appreciate you walking us through that because I think it establishes trust. And one of the things I, I read this, it was, uh, I actually can't remember who it was, but it was a, he, he was a seasoned, he's a, in an older man writing about the apostolic ministry. And he was writing specifically that title that he had never taken the title for himself, but he said, it's actually something that needs to be bestowed by spiritual children, meaning the people that have received the fruit of your office will then easily start to recognize and identify like, you know, and say, you are a prophet in my life, mm-hmm. like, and kind of, so there's mm-hmm. something and, and it was, it was a more nuanced way of, I think what Jesus was saying on the sermon of the Mount of you judge a tree by its fruit. So if there's a consistent, you know, um, integrous over a long amount of time, a bearing of fruit. I think that the fruit, you know, if good apples come from the same tree for a decade, you know, that that's an apple tree, you know? And so, and I think this is what we want to talk about. If the fruit of genuine apostolic ministry comes out of a minister or a church or a people over a certain amount of time, uh, you can quite easily start to say, that's an, that's an apostle. That's mm-hmm. a prophet. Yeah. That's an evangelist, you know, and, and I do agree with you. And I would say just to challenge any listener, there is a skepticism around apostle and prophet. There's an internal knee jerk reaction that's different than evangelist, pastor, and teacher, mm-hmm. which is interesting because it's not a, there's no biblical distinction between any of the five. It's a cultural bias that mm-hmm. we have where we're just more easily, you know, like we don't necessarily think that anybody that says I'm a pastor is making a power grab, right? Yeah. you know, and 
why I, I've thought about this, and I'm not trying to be critical because yeah. I had the exact same thing of what Benji was saying. I just think it's an important thing to recognize is part of it is, I believe, is because there is apostles and prophets manifest like the power of God in a more, in a different way. Like there mm-hmm. is something of a direct line and a connection to heaven. So there is a more mystical reality to both apostles and prophets that's maybe different. And again, it's not to be exclusive for them. It's to actually release that into people so that everyone has access to yeah. it. But I found that, um, yeah, there's, it's, it's almost like there's, we, we don't, there's the, there's two extremes when it comes to the power of God. One is we like, don't want to talk about it. And we're like, just focus on love. But I think love without power isn't really love. Yeah. Like, it was love True. that rose Jesus from the dead. You know, it was love that healed the lepers and, and like the lame and the blind. So there's like the, it's like we have a weird way in the body of Christ of divorcing things that God doesn't divorce himself. It's like, mm. it's like we're the children choosing a divorce, not the parents. It's so weird how we do this in the church. So we divorce power and love. We divorce word and spirit. We divorce these things that God's like. Yeah no, we're up here together. <laughs> like we're, we're perfectly united. Oh, wow. So there's something about, um, I would just challenge anybody to really like that the power of God is biblical, you know, cause then the other extreme is like, you know, you're the, you're obsessed with power and you want to be the man of power for the hour, which I think is a lot of the knee jerk reaction people have is we don't want the abuse of power and mm-hmm. we do not because the power of God is not the power of the world. It's not the power of Caesar. Um, it's the power of love. So Amen. anyways, it's a deeper conversation, but it's more just if you feel that, be honest with that, but then let the Bible inform you. And it just shows that our mental map still needs to be formed where we can actually value a biblical church governance structure mm-hmm. without like this skepticism. Because being it's actually been, that's been a hard point and it's been part of my intimidation in accepting more and more an apostolic call is I feel like it triggers in people like, oh, this guy is just, uh, he's going after something. Like, mm-hmm. I can't, it's like, and no one likes feeling yeah. like that skepticism. And it's not to say like, oh, we have it. It's part of life. It's mm-hmm. just kind of, it's can, one of the things yeah. I think we're working through culturally so that we can have a, a purity to what we're doing in all of this. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say it's like probably cultural and generational, just that like anti-leadership, being skeptical of leadership, seeing leadership totally, you know, messed up and misused. And so I think I can totally see how that is, but it's good to call out. And I love that you've also, you mean you highlighted so many paradoxes and I think we fall into these camps of whether it's power or love or word and spirit because it's easier to define one and maybe just ignore the other than it is to hold the two intention. Um, so I love that that's even just an emphasis at river house. Um, one question that I have is just going back to your story and like having this dream of you're going to have this apostolic assignment Mm -hmm. and coming from a similar background as you, if I got a call, like if I had a dream where God's like an apostolic assignment, I'd be like, I have no idea what that means. You know, I'm like, (laughs) am I like, and I guess I, until you mentioned missionaries, I was like, I hadn't made that connection even in this whole conversation of like throughout church history, that might be what it looks like. So 
is that what, when you got that dream and you feel like you have to identify in it, like, were you thinking becoming a missionary? Is that what you, was that where your mind went when you got that call? Or like, what, what did you imagine this apostolic assignment to look like? It's a good question. I can't say I exactly remember, yeah. but I think that I've been exploring that probably mm-hmm. for the last decade now. And, you know, I, I could probably just more share some of what I've come to totally. maybe currently. Um, I think, you know, I guess just to back up the, uh, just some of the cultural like words of like, I guess culture, if we were to contextualize word apostles. So, yeah. cause I think the way we read the Bible effectively is we want to know what did like what did the person writing the scripture like what was paul communicating to that audience and how did that you know so we want to kind of get down to the historical context so if you were to do like an exegesis on the word apostle from the sense of you know what it would have meant there you'd find a lot of things but it's a it was like a greco-roman word in origin so uh, the Greeks would have been familiar with an apostle. Um, I think the word is apostolos in the Greek, and it would have been a few different things. And, and it, it was a it was a political term, and it was also a military term. And uh, an an apostle was someone who, and if you actually want to do your own, there's a book called Apostles and Prophets by a guy named Rick Renner, and he did a thorough, thorough like work of the historical context to try to dig up like what does yeah. what do these words mean so it's kind of fascinating it's it's really That's thick cool. but um anyways uh so an apostle would have been someone sent like in a ship to either go and like start a new territory so if like they wanted to go to an unsettled land and mm-hmm. start a new city they would have sent an, an apostle and uh but it's like apostles would never go alone they would go with like uh dignitaries they would go with business people tradesmen artisans and essentially their job was to go and they would create like a new territory and it would it would be culture like they would take the culture of their sending culture with them so if it was rome they would take roman culture and then the the apostle would essentially like raise up a flourishing ecosystem and they would be there until there was a certain level, like where they'd cross a threshold where like the city was flourishing. So mm-hmm. the new settlement was stable and secure. Some of the people that would be on the apostles team would then stay mm-hmm. and actually then oversee like the long-term like running of yeah. the city. But some of the team members would be constant like traveling companions and they would, mm-hmm. um, they would then go and they would go to the next city. It so um, it's, uh, it was, it was never like an isolated type, um, mm-hmm. minister. Like if you look at Paul, he very much emulates this. He had a team of people, they would go with him. Some would stay, some would come with him and they were creating like the equivalent of a new settlement for the kingdom. Um, another word that the apostle was, it was a political term and it was, it was similar to someone that would have been like an ambassador. Um, the word apostle is actually very similar in the Greek to the word, the ancient word for a passport. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. if, if you do the, like, what yeah. it's, it's just, there was similarities like linguistically. So there was always a connotation around travel, um, as far as yeah. associated with the word apostle. 
And in those days, the ambassadors were also like heralds for the king because there wasn't like email or social media Mm -hmm. or whatever. So it was actually like a more exalted position. And a herald would have to be someone that the king implicitly or the ruler implicitly trusted because when he would go and speak... It, he was speaking, speaking on the for on, for the kingdom, you oh. know, and whatever. So if it was a business deal or if it was whatever, whatever he said, he was basically like speaking the king's words to him. So um, there was like this whole ancient um, protocol where heralds would be usually they would be tested within the context of the of the kingdom they were from. Mm-hmm. And when they felt that they were trustworthy, they would then be sent out to become like an ambassador or a herald. So this word apostle had like a political connotation if it was someone that would be highly trusted Mm -hmm. by Jesus to go be the voice of Jesus to basically speak and, you know, establish this. So, you know, and then there would be this idea of, of travel. Um, associated with it. And so you look at the early apostolic ministry, you see like a lot of parallels to this. There's actually some more things we could go into, but I think for the sake of time that covers it. So all it to say is how I would see, and I still think there's nuance to, there's probably different expressions of apostolic ministry, but I would say foundationally, it would be an apostle would be someone that's given like a pioneering vision to go and establish a new territory mm-hmm. for the kingdom of God. Um, you see this with Paul. Uh, he was obviously traveling. He had his company of people, and he had a grasp on uh, kind of the culture that he was wanting to establish. You'll also see he went through a pretty rigorous time of testing and training. He goes to Sinai. Most people think he goes back to Mount Sinai and tr- studies the Torah. He goes and lives with his parents. He's a tent maker. He then goes to Antioch, and he's ministering in a local church. All of this leading up to like, right, and this is another example. He was called, but he didn't become the office of an apostle until the elders at Antioch laid hands and they commissioned him out. So, yeah. So I, you know, that's that's how I would say I'm I'm working it out now. Is I think apostles carry a heavenly blueprint. Uh, you could look at Moses as a as a prototype of an apostle, and he goes on a mountain, he gets a blueprint, and then he's commissioned to go and create according to the heavenly the heavenly pattern. And so I think uh, apostles will have uh, more of an orientation. They're similar to prophets in that they'll have a heavenly orientation. They'll, they'll be a sense of eminence because they've been culturized by, it doesn't necessarily have to be an encounter, but it's some sort of, it's revelation. You know, it's Paul stresses yeah. the, the role that revelation prays, that spirit of wisdom and revelation would open your eyes. Like you see him apostling the Ephesians church, like, that wisdom would give you an, an, an ability to see through the veil into something that's beyond. But then the apostles have the skill set and then a team around them to then concretely express that spiritual vision in a way that ultimately uh, works its way into the poor. And you see this uh, at the Council of Jerusalem where, you know, like, but we only ask that you take care of the poor. And Paul goes, great, like, I'm also very eager to do the same thing. 
And I think that's one of like, that's the marker to me of that there's a full loop ecosystem of apostolic expression is that you get a heavenly blueprint to create a heavenly culture where there'll be signs and wonders and manifest presence of God, but that then ultimately works its way so that the least of these and the hurting are being lifted up. Mm. To me, that's a picture of like the holistic apostolic ecosystem, which you can then inherently see requires, that's why the apostolic team, the prophetic, the pastoral, the evangelistic, the teaching, like it all has to work together because, you know, the evangelistic would be to me like the last fruit of that, of that's what's reaching out and pulling up the poor and the hurting and the broken. So that's a lot, but that, that would be, I guess, maybe like a 10,000 foot view mm-hmm. to me at apostolic ministry. Mm-hmm. It's going to look different in different regions, different cities based on what the spirit of God's doing. But it's going to be a heavenly blueprint that works its way with fivefold cooperation where ultimately the poor are being lifted up. Wow. I don't think I've heard you or anyone necessarily land on that poor being lifted up point yet Mm -hmm. and maybe i have and i just don't remember but i love that that came up because it does feel so holistic Mm -hmm. um because i was asking the same question you were asking jace like i can imagine an evangelist is someone who's hitting the streets talking about jesus Mm -hmm. a teacher is one who's opening the bible and and teaching the context what does an apostle do and what i'm hearing you say is you receive blueprints from the lord um, to generate things, start stuff, pioneer, whether you're planting a church, um, starting a missionary movement and planting churches overseas. Maybe I'm thinking of a, a, a local apostle type, a guy named Rock Brown, who started the Launchpad ministry in Boise, like um, parachurch movements. I, I wonder if there's often apostle figures who are leading in the parachurch. That, I think, helps me ground, like, what does this flush out to look like practically Mm -hmm. in the day-to-day am i understanding that correctly yeah yeah i yeah i think that there's i think you know and again where we can get confused is if we want to just look like biblically at apostles because i think there are people that have similarly to where uh there's the there's the offices the roles and the gifts i think or gifts and then the the roles uh, like I think the role that all believers have, it would be like leadership. Um, everybody has a call to influence the world for the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. to be, you know, salt and light, to, to be someone that is, you know, catalyzing positive transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's people with gifts of leadership. So, you know, and I would look at that more as like, you know, initiators, entrepreneurs, people that go and start parachurch ministries and stuff. I probably wouldn't label someone that's outside the context of local church as an apostle, just because I probably try to stick to just biblical. So I think that's some of the confusion that we have is sometimes people like they're incredible pioneers. They're incredibly gifted, but I'm probably not comfortable being like, that's an apostle. I'm like, that's a gift of the Holy spirit. That's like profound. And it's not even to me, that's not dishonoring either. It's more, if we're looking at apostles, I think, I, I would I would probably look at the pioneering of churches, plural, as the one of the key markers, although I think that there are people who have pioneered churches, 
that aren't apostles either. You could be an evangelist in pioneer churches, and maybe then you have a gift of leadership or something. Um, I would look at it as it's there's 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 a heavenly blueprint, and I would look at a supernatural culture like of where the miraculous is invading. As to me, it's so Paul says, you know, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance and the power of signs and wonders. That to me is probably the most clear cut verse we have into like, what are the authenticating markers? Um, so I would say multiple churches, because just because we see that in all the, you know, that's what they were doing. They were going around and establishing new outposts of the kingdom of God. But then perseverance, uh, I think that's the first sign of true apostolic ministry, because if you're pioneering anything anywhere, you're going to have to have stick to and a fortitude through trials of many kinds to like stick to it. That's what's funny to me when you, if you were to self-promote and be like, I'm an apostle, I'm like, have you read the job description of these guys and ladies? Like yeah. beaten without number, times without number, shipwrecked. I mean, it's like Paul goes, he's so vulnerable with the amount of suffering associated. So that's why he says the first sign is perseverance. Yeah. Cause he's like, are you an apostle? He's like, show me your back and I'll show you the signs of an apostle. Like I have mm -hmm. persevered through wow. what could like be on. He even says, is it in second Corinthians? Like we despaired of life itself. Mm. Like, you know, he's literally stoned and beaten outside of, uh, you know, is it Lystra? I think so. And, you know, and left for dead. Like this guy had a perseverance that only God uh -huh. could have carried him through the, the amount of just trial that he was going to face. So um, I would expect there to be a profound amount of persecution and trial and then signs and wonders. And, and why I would say signs and wonders is that to me is an authenticating marker that the throne of God has been established in an environment. That means that God, like... Because to me, all signs and wonders are, are means that what's normal in heaven is becoming normal on earth. Like mm -hmm. we freak out because we're like, oh, that guy got a word of knowledge and knows your address, Jace. Yeah. But like, have you ever thought like, why is it that big a deal that God knows your address? Mm -hmm. like, and it's not like he like knew it like from birth. And it's just like, I, when am I going to like know when to say this one address? You know, right, it's like from we, God. Why we freak out yeah. is because it's simply the manifestation of like, we believe that God knows the number of hairs on our head. Mm -hmm. But there's something about when we come into the manifestation of that reality that our inner man freaks out, you know? So that's where yeah. signs and wonders for me, um, that is just, it's important to a biblical mm. authentication of apostolic ministry. It's because it shows that the, like the supernatural is the inheritance of the church. You can't read the, the, any part of the Bible, honestly, and not see the, the inbreaking of God in a supernatural expression. It's just not there. It's not there biblically. Mm. And, I, and I don't think it should be there uh, in, in our lived out day to day life as Christians. Like I think God's inbreaking presence and then things happening that shouldn't be able to happen outside of God. That's that, that's what shows to me that heaven is being built on mm -hmm. earth. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, we freak out cause it's like blind eyes open, but like, that's just heaven. That's like normal. That's like mm -hmm. the oxygen there. We're like, Oh, it's nor you know normal here. Oh. So that that's where I would. That's why I think Paul emphasizes the thing. So I, that's what I would say. Real real rough line is churches, 
are either being pioneered or profoundly impacted. There's, you know, I would say both trial and perseverance and then the power of signs and wonders. Hmm. To me, that shows that like, okay, heaven, you know, and then obviously a team, a building, a releasing, and then a multiplying and kind of on and on and on. I have heard too that one of the reasons that the Western church is not very familiar with apostolic ministry is because they exist more in hard regions where there's pioneering works taking place. So, and I, I would say I agree with that just from my experience in the global South, apostolic ministry is much more widely accepted and appreciated because it usually comes with stripes on their back. Like you wouldn't, you know, there's no power grab. It's usually a grab for prison, you know? Wow. So. Wow. That exposes some privilege that we have, doesn't it? <laughs> Holy mm-hmm. cow. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering, I'm like, I bet even, you know, a hundred years ago, there'd probably 200 years ago, there'd be more, you know, mm-hmm. apostolic, I don't know. Maybe more of a comfort around this conversation. Yeah, maybe. I like I like the the clarity that this conversation is bringing because I even while we were talking a little bit earlier, I was like, well, if it's like an ambassador, pioneer, you know, someone who like stays for a little bit and leaves, like, is this is this? I was having this conversation. I'm like, is it for the church? Are you like an is it an apostle and ambassador to the world? You know, and I'm like, well, that feels more evangelistic. And then I was like, well, the fivefold. Sorry, you're getting my whole conversation in my head. Um, the fivefold <laughs> is for the the church to build up the body, and so it's even the, the evangelist is to build up the evangelism, the evangelistic gift in the body of Christ mm. to go out. You know, it's not like the one sole person winning souls out on the street. And so I was like, oh, then it's like than it is within the church. Like it's a church structure, kind of like what we talked about. So that was, I mean, that's been my journey in this conversation so far. And I I just like the clarity behind this. Maybe a a good place where we can spend the rest of the time in our Mm -hmm. conversation is for the listener who um, just doesn't even know how to personally relate this conversation to them. Like, what does this mean for me? Maybe if, if the listener is thinking that, because I think as a listener in this conversation myself, I have thought of the fivefold as some kind of cool, charismatic, churchy like personality assessment. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like what are you on the Enneagram? <laughs> the charismatic Enneagram. Yeah, it's yeah. a charismatic Enneagram. Oh, you know, I'm kind of like a, <laughs> That's a like a nine wing one. Maybe I'm a teacher yeah. wing pastor. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, totally. I think there's an impulse to do Mm -hmm. that. So then the listener, if you're asking what's in it for me, you would think, oh, well, do I identify as an apostle? Um, And if so, like, what other things do I identify with? Um, Is that the right approach? Or how would you respond to the question, how does this relate to me? I think that's a great question. I think it's hilarious, too. (laughs) Because it's... I think a lot of times this is what creates confusion as we've looked at this exactly like a quasi charismatic church personality test. I've never heard it like that. Like that's so funny to me. (laughs) Um, And I would say, no, that is not what we want because ultimately I don't know what the exact number would be, but I'm going to guess it's less than 5% of the body of of Christ are going to be Ephesians four fivefold giftings because like you look at the just purely like the stats of the, you know, vocational ministers versus lay people. Like we don't want 
everyone called vocationally to help build the the church like we we want to ultimately the apostolic vision the blueprint of god is that heaven would come to earth that heaven would invade our cities and so i feel like where my area like god's given me authority within the church and to the people of the church but in a way it's like then they carry that authority to the marketplace you know and there's people i've discipled for years that are marketplace called in the marketplace. They have incredible gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are not fivefold ministers. And I praise God for that. They don't want to be either because oh. they are building the city of God and influencing culture, you know? And so it's like this beautiful divine synchronicity where the fivefold gives grace. They're anointed to actually bestow grace upon the body to do the work of ministry, which is to build the city of God and to influence our world. So Yes, that's why we don't want to read this like a personality test or look at it like it's like the it's the C-suite and we're all trying to get promoted up to the C-suite, mm. you know, CEO or yeah. chief profit office, you know, it's like that like that that's <laughs> this isn't some sort of, it's an upside down thing. And even Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that upon the the members of the body that that were the most like disdained we put more honor so that there'll be equality. So, and I think you look at Paul, like P Paul did not have a very lucrative calling. And like literally the day he got called, he told Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul's like, yes, apostles get more honor, but it's actually just to bring equality to the body. Because in my estimation, I think the amazing calls are the people that are like doing it. Like uh -huh. vocational ministers are the servants of the church so that the church can arise and shine and be light to the dark world and actually Come like... On. You know, like the Deuteronomy blessing, blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed are your kneading bowls, blessed, you know, blessed, like you're to be a manifestation of God's blessing. Fivefold ministries just to support you and serve you in that calling, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. So in a way, I feel like I like get so sad when I feel like people are like, I just wish I was in ministry. So I had a life of purpose. I'm like, no, 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 no. My ministry has no purpose unless you're living the life that God's called you to out in the marketplace, you know? Wow. I, I grieved when I first got called to the church because I wanted to go influence culture, you know? So I have such a passion to mobilize the people of God to see like we are called. So to zero that back in, how I would encourage you to relate with fivefold ministry would be to see these fivefold ministry expressions as together holding the most, like the, the, the manifold expression of Jesus. Meaning like this is, if you can actually drink from each one of these and, and start to recognize and honor apostolic grace, prophetic grace, evangelistic grace, pastoral grace, and teaching grace, it's gonna enlarge your vision of Jesus, which is the goal. And if you can have an enlarged vision of Jesus, that's how you get most equipped to become like Jesus to that's, the world. Oh, so, so my good. encouragement to you is don't try to become like you, like again, you may have gifts that more resonate. So if you have gifts of prophecy, you're probably going to naturally like connect with prophetic, with a prophet or in, it's probably a prophet who's activated some of this in your life, you know? So it doesn't mean like you can have things where you're like, Oh, 
like it may help you recognize your gift mix and how mm-hmm. you, you know, you may be like, oh, I see what that apostolic guy does. I recognize, like I have that kind of function in the marketplace. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Like that's leadership grace. That's entrepreneurial grace. Um, but it it doesn't mean you're like, I'm trying to be an apostle. You know, it's like, so just drink, drink from apostles, from the real thing, from real prophets, pure, holy, grounded, humble, Christ-like prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And if you as the listener can honor these and, you know, like this will create tension in your life. Like about a year ago, I was reading a book by Michael Koulianos, who I would say he's probably an apostle or a prophet, like he's one of those things. And a book by John Mark Comer, who I think is a bona fide teacher in the body of Christ. I was mm-hmm. reading them and I was I'm going back and forth. I was on a vacation reading both of them. And I was like, I was getting so wrecked by both of the books, but it was producing so much turmoil inside of me because I'm like, <laughs> these books don't get along. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, I'm like, these books don't even talk to each other, man. But that was that's the beauty of fivefold is I was actually exposing myself to Jesus the teacher and maybe Jesus the prophet simultaneously and it left me having to wrestle out for a bigger picture of Jesus because what we're all after we're not after apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers we are after Jesus Amen. and mm-hmm. that's what these this is these these fivefold gifts are gifts of Jesus. They're not gifts of the Holy Spirit. It says Jesus led a host of captives captives, and he gave gifts to men. He actually gave these gifts to put a face on Jesus, which to me is like, wow. And it shows that none of, none of us have the full thing of Jesus. So the more that we can get along, you know, and honor and see it all like that that's that's the ticket of this whole thing that's what we're working for in riverhouse that's why you know and we have emerging graces in our movement you know i think justin is a bona fide shepherd um i think uh megan i think is in the process of um emerging into a prophetic grace on her life Mm -hmm. and um, i think she's on a growth track uh into the prophetic ministry and Every Sunday she's up there, there's something else growing. So it's like, we're, we're like, we're beautifully immature as a movement and we have not fully grown into this fivefold infrastructure, but it's happening. Like Mm -hmm. I thought Pastor Robin's word, like a month ago or whenever it was, was such like the, that evangelist grace of Jesus was like billowing through. And it was like, Whoa, and you could feel it hitting people because we were seeing Jesus. Yeah. Like we were seeing a bigger thing of Jesus. And so, like, I think here at Riverhouse, we're beautifully immature, but like, we're going to become a mature apple tree. Like, and we're going to bear the fruit of Christ. And we're not going to get comfortable in our little camps. Like, we're, we're creating a culture that is unified but very diverse and a lot of tension is in our culture. That's what we're advocating in this fivefold message is make a decision in your heart that I'm I'm not after my ears being tickled. I'm after Jesus. I want Jesus for everything he is. If he disturbs me, disturb me. If it resonates, resonate, but make me bigger so that I can see you for who you really are. Wow. That's, that's the call of this thing. Wow.
Come on. That was excellent. Yeah. I feel like that got us right where we needed to be. <laughs> I'm thinking like the challenge I'm even seeing in myself is who are the people in leadership in the church over me that, that challenge me? Because maybe they don't look quite like I look. And how can I get closer to that person so they can, they can reveal the parts of Jesus that I'm not as familiar with? That's for sure something that I want to be a part of. And just like you said, like unity in diversity is a culture that we're after because that's the body of Christ in its fullest. Um, so I, I love that. I think that's an excellent point to land because mm -hmm. I think it's the heartbeat of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, it's what Paul's talking about when he even brings us up. Is unity, yeah. Is unity. And, and that just made it so practical for the listener, for, for me and yeah just that's so good and it's a freeing too to know like i don't have to identify with one of these totally. I, I, in fact i just am seeing my role in the marketplace in the public schools in my house as a stay-at-home mother or whatever as empowered now that i'm like doing the work of the kingdom i don't have to be a part of this fivefold i'm instead just drinking from the fivefold in order to help myself look more like jesus yeah, to bless the world Absolutely. It's like, let the fivefold serve their function in their, in your life. Like there's, um, we're all searching for significance. And I think that when significance gets brought into this conversation, it muddies the waters. Apostles are no more significant than a two-year-old child that's in the Lord. Like we are significant because we're loved by father. Like that's why we're significant. These titles are not designed by God to bestow significance. And if we can we if we can let God settle the significance question, which is settled in the secret place, it's heart to heart, face to face, then we can come to the outer life, to the life of the church and the and the mission of God in the world. Significance is settled. We are all more significant than we could ever imagine. Then it allows us to actually just honor and receive and bless from the ecosystem of God and recognize that the reason that apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers are given greater honor in the church is because they're calling. If there wasn't the grace and all that, it's, it's, it's not the best calling. I like the Levites didn't get portion in the land. Like the Levites um, did not get any right. land. All the rest of Israel got land flowing with milk and honey and vineyards and cities they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant and fruitfulness and milk and honey. Wow. And, and the Levites did not get inheritance. God designed that they got the honor because it created the equality because he basically knew nobody would do this if I didn't create it this wow. way. Yeah. So there's, there's this beautiful upside down of even the fivefold. So I guess I'd just say you are significant. You're powerful. You're called. You're chosen. And whether you're fivefold or not has literally nothing to do with that. Come on. Like that oh, is man. the outer world. That's the outer ecosystem of God's kingdom working. So... Yeah, drink freely, wow. like receive the gift of fivefold ministry and let it empower you the way it's supposed to. So good. Yes, Lord. Come on. Thank you, JV. Thank this you, Jordan. Great. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Thank well, you for we, your time. We just honor you the way you're stewarding your gift and the way that even the two of us have gotten to drink from your gifting today. That's 
It's funny because it feels so simple the way that you've just packaged it, but it took us six conversations to get here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for real. I'm like, oh man, this is, I mean, the best place to land, but I was thinking like, wow, this took a while. (laughs) I almost want to re-record our first podcast because I think I said a lot of things I don't agree with anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But uh, but honestly, that's that's probably good for the purpose of this podcast is to like, you just, if you are listening to all these, like you just saw us kind of work through this over a month span of what we started with and where we're going. And that's always going to be our journey too. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you guys. And I think even that is a beautiful picture of this like precious immaturity that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We are growing and I appreciate you guys stepping out to create this space for us to grow with you and for you to be thought leaders and conversation starters, because this is how we grow. So love you guys. Oh, and it's you. a privilege to be here with you today. Thanks. Love you too. I love you too. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bless you. Thank you so much for listening to the Deep Waters podcast. If you have comments, questions, or concerns, maybe even a recipe or two, please send them to deepwaters at riverhouseministries.com. And if you would like to join us at Riverhouse for Sunday service, we meet at the Vineyard Boise at 4 p.m. We'd love to see you there. We cannot do this podcast without a little help from our friends. Our theme music was written and recorded by the Riverhouse Worship Team. Production is done by Jordan Sodeman. Special thanks to Isaiah Guerrero for our artwork. Benjamin Olson writes and co-hosts with me, Jace Langley, and I also edit this bad boy. If you like this podcast and want to keep going on this journey of discipleship with us, please leave us a review wherever you listen to the Deep Waters podcast. May Christ be with you wherever you go.